Welcome Rajiv and Harpal to this rather informal chat about this new idea which is uh, the Asian lens at this point in time is what Harpal and I have been thinking about calling it and uh, so Rajiv it's uh, our good luck that you happen to be in Delhi at this time and that we had a very nice meeting the other day so we thought we wouldn't uh, like to miss the opportunity of a rather freewheeling chat about this concept, its relevance and some thoughts about how we should take it forward. And since Harpal has been pretty much the fountainhead of this idea in our conversations, may I just ask Harpal to take a, a minute or so to set the ball rolling and then of course we let it go where it goes. Well, once again, um, Rajiv, uh, nice to have you with us. And uh, I, I must tell you that, you know, before I sort of uh, talk more about it, that this is quite interesting and in some ways enigmatic uh, as to how we actually found you or discovered you in that, that somebody at a talk that I was giving some time back um, walks up to the platform, presents me a book, and it, there's a book that you have recently written uh, some time back called Being Different. And uh, quite recently, I happened to flip through some of the pages and found how much it resonated with the ideas that Raji and I had been sort of uh, talking about. And it provided a wonderful platform, if I may say, a conceptual platform for us to take the idea forward. Now, really, the idea devolved from a perspective to say that the world has actually changed rather dramatically in, in every sense of the word, uh, you know, over the last uh, 20, 25 odd years. Uh, global populations are multiplied in a dramatic way. Uh, the power structure is certainly changing now from us unipolar, we are going becoming a multipolar world. The kind of challenges that we are likely to face in the future will necessitate that we begin to look at the issues on the ground with quite dramatically different perspectives to the ones that we've typically been used to looking at. And our current lens, so to speak, about understanding realities, whether they are Western or for that matter in any part of the world, have been realities based on what one might call the perspective, the Western lens. And as you would know better than any of us, that the Western lens can probably, its foundations are writ large through uh, the Judeo-Christian tradition, uh, through Greek and Roman thought. And it, it has done some remarkably good perspectives, produced some great outcomes, and the world has benefited. But I think as you go into the future and we see the large global populations resting outside uh, this particular arena, the need to develop new lenses became imperative. And when we began to discuss this, and I began to sort of have conversations with Raji on this, uh, we, we began to excite ourselves more and more as we went along. And, and this idea we began to test in different forums, in global forums, in, the, in some discussions in the Commonwealth, in, in, in global organizations like Save the Children, uh, in, in the UK Roundtable, in our university uh, with faculty. And we found that the resonance was very high. There was huge receptivity about this thing saying, we need to actually develop alternative perspectives. And I sense that, uh, that we will, by so doing, actually speak, enable ourselves, certainly uh, the world, in a way, uh, enable the world to evolve superior understanding. And if that be true, that you get superior understanding, then you will also, incidentally, get superior 
solutions and hopefully superior outcomes of any of the endeavors that we might wish to do. That really speaking is the idea that we thought we should pursue. And then through those conversations, Raji actually I have to say was entrepreneurial if I may use that word, entrepreneurial enough to say that he took it through the university's board and we finally had a board resolution which said we will promote the idea at the level of the university. So that really is the background and we think that students who come up not only with looking at the world from the western eye but looking at the world through alternative eyes will actually be superior in terms of their capability to address the challenges that they certainly will face in their future lives. So that really is the background if I may say Raji. And so, uh, Raji, we, as I mentioned, are lucky we met you in this time because you've been studying this subject quite intensely and for quite a while. So maybe good to get a little background on how you got interested in it because we are getting interested in a certain fashion now and you've been down this journey. How you got interested and then what are some of the big ideas that have formed in your mind? And so, first to get a thought on that, and then perhaps your views on how such an initiative uh, could get shaped. And there, of course, we are all currently groping in the dark. So a few thoughts from you and then well, I'm delighted to be part of this conversation. It's a very creative, new and very courageous idea because the tendency, the fashion of the day is everything is same. And this is, we, let's not uh, probe too much about differences out of fear that differences cause problems, which I don't think is necessarily the case. My own story is that I was in uh, technology, I was a physicist, computer guy in the corporate world, and then I became an entrepreneur myself, But throughout, and lived in the West, so I lived in the US for 43 years. Uh, I left India at the age of 20. And so for most of this time as a businessman, traveling around the world, I had uh, businesses in several dozen countries. I found that uh, one, one of the things that really fascinated me besides the business is to understand their sense of history, their identity, who they are, how do they see themselves. And it was very interesting to find out, to see how different people have this idea of themselves. And even those countries that are colonized, that were colonized, and therefore are highly westernized, some of the developing countries, when you scratch the surface and you try to reach them as themselves, and you sort of bring down your own guard of being a westernized person and show them that we are also people with a certain long sense of history and identity, it creates a deeper culture, a deeper cultural connection. I found this to be the case. In fact, I'll tell you, uh, when I was a vice president at ITT and we used to go to Japan a lot, it was, it, it was considered taboo to sort of try and go to somebody's house in Japan because they always meet you in the workplace, top guys. But in the very first meeting, somehow, and I was a young man, I was like in my early 30s, I found those, those guys somehow found in me a kind of a curiosity about their culture, a sincerity and honesty. So in the very first meeting, the managing director asked me, of Mitsubishi, asked me to stay over the weekend and he would take me to his hometown. He would took me on this fast train to Kyoto where they have these temples and personally gave me all this stuff and wanted me to have a discussion with his Buddhist teacher because he felt this guy is a very curious man and he's from this land of Buddha. So when I told this to my boss, I was 30 something, they were really scandalized that how did you do that because this is not protocol. But every single time they would come to New York, they would want to take me out 
and these guys were very jealous that this guy gets to be there. And every time we had a delegation go to Japan, they would say, you bring Rajiv along. So this is, this is in fact the case, that if you bring down this facade of a very corporate, um, which is a Western style of doing things, and begin to get to know each other with uh, gentleness, kindness, love, and real understanding, people really like it. So I think it's also a business tool. It's a business tool that we can use to get to know a person deeper than just the formal business style. Now, I left all this 20 years ago to create a new life, which is what I'm doing now. And I turned this into a formal study. How do I understand cultures? How do I understand different histories? What do they think of themselves? What do they think of us? And where do all these ideas come from? So I have learned a lot, published a lot, uh, and initiated in my own way some initiatives in various universities in America and in India through conferences, journals, to study the inter-civilizational dialogue, inter-civilization dialogue. And what is clear to me is that different major civilizations need a seat at the table. And it should not be a monologue. And the, the last few hundred years, the West had encounters. The West was made itself the center, and it had encounters with different regional civilizations in different parts of the world. And the West would sort of digest everybody into their framework. And the West was created by di digesting all these civilizations, different ideas selectively, and reframing them and calling it Western. So uh, something from Africa would reach something in Europe, and then it would be repackaged and sent to China. Some Chinese stuff would go to the Americas. So they became the hub, the trading hub, if you will, of cultural things. And now the West is, uh, people are questioning that. And people are having direct interactions. And, and people are asserting who they are. Uh, media has something to do with it. Uh, maybe economic prosperity, people are getting more confident. Uh, it's no longer necessarily, uh, you know, it is no longer necessary or politically correct to sort of mimic the West. You, you, can, you can be yourself. And so this is a very interesting time for our civilization, Indian civilization and Asian civilization to sort of come out with who we are uh, which we and be able to present as, as our contribution to other parts of the world just as we learn from them in a reciprocal way, in a mutually respectful way. There's no arrogance involved here. There needn't be superiority complex or inferiority complex. I think both are equally bad. So that's why when I heard about your initiative, it's, uh, it's very good news. It's very far, uh, forward thinking, in my opinion, and would love to be part of this conversation. Well, you know, uh, Rajiv, if I could just say, uh, so two quick comments. You know, uh, the important thing for us to understand is it doesn't matter what be your endeavor or your domain. It doesn't matter that if you develop new insights, that they will help you in that domain. And I'm just thinking of two very recent things. One is a recent conversation on, on democracy. And it's interesting that if you take back the idea of democracy, and there's a discussion currently on in the country about majoritarianism as against democracy. Now, the two have uh, obviously a very strong connect, uh, uh, but they have remarkable differences as well. Uh, the majority, incidentally, in back in Greece, uh, decided that they should uh, that they should uh, uh, poison Socrates. That's what the majority said, and yet it was that same civilization that said no. Uh, the rights of the individual 
are equally important, even though they may be contrarian to the view of the majority. This question of how democracy as an idea of representative government can get embedded in different parts of the world does not have to be a mono idea. And even if we look at the evolution of democracy, you will find that this is the case. The second is the most recent case now again, this Article 377, uh, which we are now all talking about. If you look at that article itself, uh, the comment that it is largely a Victorian values and ethics point of view and may have nothing to do with Indian tradition is something we just need to know more about. Otherwise, we are likely to take a very narrow view of it, whatever be, uh, whatever be the final outcome. But I think our students, if they get these alternative views and see them from, from, a, uh, from a sense of confidence, uh, uh, then I think we will just have better citizens, in fact, no you matter know, I remember that many, many years ago when our software industry was beginning to find a strong expression, and I remember one of the ministers at the turn of this last century mentioning that uh, 10 years ago when he went to any country and he presented the Indian passport, people would look at him and if they had the courage, they would say, oh, snake charmers, you know, ropes and snake charmers. Mm -hmm. And he says now, and he was talking at one of our software conferences, he says now when I present it, he says, oh, you guys are so smart. Now, same country, same people, but just a perspective which is different. Our youth are so much more self-confident. And today I can see a lot of young people with no hesitation talking about would be good to learn Sanskrit, would be good to learn our scriptures. Whereas I remember in our college days, if you talked of you know anything which was not English, a lot of people around you would wonder what's wrong with this person. So I think these are all lenses. And now as India has found a phase of growth and there's a lot of self-confidence building into people, we run the risk that if we don't start educating our young about building a wider perspective, they may just get arrogant. Because just like they were so diffident not too long ago and saying, oh, everything we do is wrong, now they've started becoming a little condescending to say, oh, Indians are smart, those guys are not so smart. So this has happened in a very short period of time. So quite clearly, there's something missing in the way we have to prepare the youth. So from the viewpoint of the university, the idea really was that how do we prepare the young? A very much, very important part of education is not how you are reading, what you are reading and what you are putting in. It's what you are interpreting with what you see. Right. And I think that's where this idea of lens became so important. And we recognize the enormity of the task. And I think at this point, we're just doing a very tentative step of saying we need to start. We need to, we, we see the value of it. And I was keen that we spend a couple of minutes talking about, so what are the next two steps? It's a long journey, but what are the next two steps? So what would be your views for, you know, this idea for the tentative or the baby steps? What kind of steps would make sense? And then Harpal, you could... Well, I think this itself is an issue worth having a conclave or a discussion as to what is the vision, what, what is within the scope of the lens that you want. Do you want an Indian lens? Do you want a Asian lens? I think there's a difference there. 
And when you say this, what are some of the controversies that you'll have to face? Because there are controversies. What are the topics? What, what's the scope of this? And I would suggest it should be as wide as possible, but worth discussing, worth having a, a conference or a seminar or some series of uh, brainstorms uh, among you know the people that you select that you want to be part of this. So it's not something just figured out. Even the very vision and mission can be kept alive and kept open for a while. To That's go th- very important. Yes, it's very important to do that because, you know, you get stuck in a certain uh, framework and you say, okay, that's not on our scope anymore, and then you are stuck there. So I would suggest, now some ideas I would have is I think you have to have a whole sense of the, if it is India, for instance, you have to, in the Indian lens, understand the Indian geography, the landscape, because it is every place is different. And diversity comes out of geographical diversity because people are the product of what grows there, what the climate is like. And so the culture is based on that, the eating habit, the body style, and the history of what happened there is different. The animals, flora, fauna are different. So you have to understand the geography, you have to understand the history, you have to understand the science and technology that people have produced. Because the history is not just about wars and who came and invaded us. But what's our contribution? What have we done? Which, we, which is quite a big story. Uh, the, both the outer domain, uh, what Indians have done of all kinds, and the inner domain, the inner sciences. It might surprise people that things like zinc, the, met, the first metal to be distilled into pure form by evaporating it and then condensing it, was zinc because it melts lower than most metals. And this was very important in building alloys with a perfect amount of percentage of components because once you have pure and pure, you can make mix the way you want. So this whole birth of alloys and metallurgy started with a large role of zinc distillation. And India was the place it was done. And it was done in Rajasthan. And these archaeological sites are there. And it was done by people that would today be called OBCs. These were not Brahmins. This is not a learned tradition. It was a hands-on practical tradition. So the idea that knowledge doesn't have to be written knowledge. There is oral tradition, there is craft, and this is technology. This is serious technology. So India has a lot of things to talk about. And this is true of most places. And we, we don't, India does not even understand, modern India does not even understand what it has. So this discovery process, before you can teach, just the sheer research and discovery of all we have, is itself a monumental work. So if you can allocate a certain amount of the uh, budget and the priority to R&D, original R&D, publishing, not only written works, but maybe videos, documentaries, and so on, that would be a real contribution because we have manuscripts that are rotting, some manuscripts that are being eaten up. Uh, We have uh, things that are decaying. And, you know, we are a culture that hasn't asked for our artifacts back. Greece and and Egypt made some legal moves and they started some activism that they want people who've taken their their historical things unfairly should give them back with some success. So at least I give them credit for having that audacity. We haven't even made a move. And so much of our stuff, the earliest works of certain kinds, the earliest texts on certain things lie in, in UK, in Germany, Harvard Archive Library, places like that. We should bring them back. So maybe you can have these kinds of initiatives. So that sounds great. And I and Harpal and I were chatting of whether it's Indian or Asian. And Harpal made a comment. He says, which point in history do you want to define what's Asia and India? So clearly, I think your point about having 
an evolutionary view in how we go about things is very fundamental. And, uh, and that's, I think that's really where we are at at this point in time. And some of your practical suggestions of how we go forward would be very meaningful. Today on the 30th of January 2014, uh, we are just getting ready to formally launch the Asian lens in a fortnight from now. And in that launch, we will pose a few questions to people. But more than anything, we are quite surprised by the amount of interest, a warm interest that even this invitation to this event has created in people. And to me, that's important because we need, we need a lot of convergence on views of doing something like that and people finding it valuable rather than, oh, will it create conflict or dissonance? So I think that's a very encouraging sign. And Harpal, your comments, a few comments before we... Yeah. We well, a couple of couple of things which I think. Uh, so one is the f very fact that I think uh, uh, the very fact that the NU board has taken a, a board decision to incubate and further the idea is a wonderful first step. And I think Rajiv also um, mentioned that. Uh, I think the set of things that we have to do is that uh, one, we need to make sure that the intelligentsia of this country, as re as reflected in university systems. So one of the things that we must do as a university is to impress upon the uh, HRD department uh, in the government of India, as much as with the states, that this is an idea and a thought that must get much wider acceptance at the level of policy in the country. Hopefully some will pick it up with greater strength, some with slightly lesser strength. So I think that is one. So our proactive advocacy of the idea is an important step that we should take. And in that, I hope that NU will provide the, uh, the, the, uh, the leadership, the intellectual and advocacy sort of background leadership for that. The second, I think, is that uh, uh, it doesn't matter. One thing which we must make is that it doesn't matter what you are studying at the university. Whatever it is that you are studying, the contributions of India towards that area of study must get you know, uh, it's important, must be bought out. And hopefully of, you know, every year of the 30 or 40 or 50 students who graduate from a particular discipline, someone will say, I'll spend a lifetime studying it. And that's okay. That's how you, that's how you build the body of knowledge. This question of whether we should call it Indian or Asian. Now, uh, some people would like to believe that India as an idea, for, for that matter, sovereign states as an idea is only four or 500 years old. I mean, uh, this whole question of nation states is a relatively new idea. But the forget the uh, country called India today. But if you were to say that south of the south of the Himalayas in this belt, and you want to in the most broadest term refer it to as India, then I think Indian seems to be a logical thing to call it. But to make sure that we don't lose its absolutely, uh, what should I say, uh, umbilical cord connectivity with Asia, simply because of the impact that we've had, maybe it might be a good idea to call it uh, India-Asia, uh, the Indian-Asian lens, so to speak. Uh, that would sort of bring. And in no way, in no way should this be uh, portrayed as a desire of the Indian nation's desire to be superior. That's not what it is. Uh, to take Rajiv's comment about saying geography is important. So in the very old times, uh, it used to be uh, the Indus River. Hindustan 
comes from the idea of the Indus. And, and so one other comment which you had made, I remember in an earlier conversation, Rajiv, was about, uh, about Indic. And I said, let's also keep it simple so that people sort of understand what it is. So next steps, advocacy, widely understood in, our, in our, each one of our departments. Uh, calling it Indian-Asian, I would certainly support that. But I, like you said, I think it's something that we should somewhat more widely discuss. Uh, are things to do. Seminars, constantly keeping uh, the issue alive in the minds of the young, in the minds of our faculty, in the minds of our policymakers, by running seminars, somewhat more focused. And I hope that at the launch event, the kind of inputs that we will get on the economic, on the social, on the cultural uh, aspects of this lens, as we are calling it, hopefully that in itself will give us a wonderful set of things next things to do, simply by the, maybe by the emphaticness of the comments that we receive on that day. So, you know, just uh, this reminded me, uh, University of Chicago has, for example, a required undergraduate course on Western civilization. Western, particularly. Everybody, no matter what your major is, you have to do that. A lot of universities have that. And uh, universities consider, the prestigious universities consider their classics department to be very, very special. You walk into the classics department and they feel like they are the keepers of, you know, the real stuff. And that's because, and, and you read there uh, what's written on stone and what's written on their websites. And it tells us that this is the quintessential, it is essential for our, all our young people to understand who we are, where we came from, the, the ultimate goodness of our thoughts and practices and so on. So this superiority complex they have for uh, their civilization uh, I mean, it can be tempered from the superiority complex and just taught as a very uh, useful thing to learn. The Chinese have done a lot for Chinese civilization. Uh, the Arabs do a lot for an Arab civilization in terms of the promotion of this. India hasn't really done that. India hasn't done that much. Now, this raises an issue that uh, we can't resolve today, but I think I'll put it on the table for something for you to think about. And that is that it's going to become political. And you have to figure out what, sh what are you going to do about it. Because I have had something, some roles in various things. Sooner or later, somebody says that your idea of India is not my idea of India. Why aren't you talking about my community had atrocities committed against them and I want that idea of India to come out. So I want to use this as my protest voice. It's a forum where I protest. And I feel that I have a right to do that. And at some point... Uh, you'll be accused of elitism and uh, being some, making a very nice facade. And then there'll be a tendency to cave in, to uh, bring in all the, all the problem areas. And then it becomes a political snake pit of fights among who did what to whom. And this is unfortunate, but it's quite realistic and it happens. I've seen it happen in, uh, when I try to, I've tried to introduce Asian studies and Indian studies and then the infighting among our own people on how much weightage you'll give to what aspect, and who, who gets the front seat, who are the people in the back seat, uh, which voice are you going to represent. Uh, you know, this, these are big issues. Is Aurangzeb a hero or a villain? Very... But Rajiv, can I, just, can I just, and I think that's why it's very important to foundationally lay the foundational premises. Yes. If the foundational premise is that being different is actually being natural. Yes. Is actually being natural. Yes. Because nature hates mono, loves multi. Yes. Right? 
Now, if you start from that premise, then all we have to say is, yes, if you were different and you suffered some inequity, well, you know, there are many others who were also different who also suffered inequity. So being different, <clears throat> yes, does put you into that sort of a situation where you could face some inequity. But that's not what we are discussing. We're not discussing the inequity. We're discussing the fact that this country, this, this uh, uh, geography, if you may say, actually is the most remarkable in terms of its ability to nurture difference. Yes. And that actually is as close to the natural order. So let's not worry about the fact that there is difference because that's what we are saying is the case. Yes. And we are saying that there is something to be celebrated in that. There is something to be and, excited and the about ability, that. And the ability of people to see those shades yes. for what they are. Yeah. Yes. I think that's really... Absolutely. So, so not to take a position but yeah. to be able to view the differences right. and perhaps then in their own sense learn how not to get biased and see the green as deep green right. and see anything else as grey. Right. So I guess that's really part of the education process. That's the part of of the lenses and, and it's very likely that the the emblem we're going to choose is the eye of a bee, which has 6,900 lenses. The eye of bee, the, the bee that brings honey. So it's all about many perspectives, about an accurate view of each of those perspectives, not forming biases on each of those perspectives and therefore building a broad mind, a mind that can receive, a mind that can see the differences and enjoy and you know see the brilliance of the differences rather than the stark uh, comparisons. So quite clearly this is going to be a, an enjoyable journey and uh, we really hope that uh, you will be with us again and again as we go through the journey and help us because you have covered so much ground in this field already that we would be, our students would be able to benefit from conversations with you and hearing you and reading about your work and so on. And uh, all of us at the university and at the board, which includes Harpal and myself, have really got very excited about this idea and we enjoy the fact that other people are getting excited. So we look forward to many more conversations like this. And I'm very impressed by your uh, determination and courage and your resilience to protect the difference. I, I see that, I see this is remarkable. Because in my tour of India for the last 35 days, I keep talking about difference, Indianness, our narratives, and I keep watching what's the reaction. And I get sometimes your reaction, which is very refreshing and very nice. I also get reactions which want to just play it safe and say, why do I need this for my next job? It's kind of like micro-optimization of me in this time and place, in my immediate context, I don't need all this. It's just a lot of hassle. And may, and some people even say it's a luxury for some, uh, you know, some aristocratic, sophisticated thinkers who have the luxury to think like this. But I just want my to get through this and get to the next stage and get this job. So it's not practical for me. So I think we have to uh, educate people why it has value. It has value because are, are we pursuing a course which may not be sustainable? And do we need to change and have different paradigms to become more sustainable? And do we have other ways of thinking which have greater harmony amongst us than the current ways of thinking? So it is actually a practical thing and not just a sort of uh, an intellectual pursuit. It's a very practical pursuit. And I think from a, just, just to sort of comment on from a university perspective, if you look at anybody who has ever said anything about education, one of the things that is constant is the comment that we wish to widen horizons. We just want to have our students 
have much. So we talk about a wholesome education in boarding schools, you know, that we provide a wholesome education. And the wholesomeness is about interacting in many domains. What can be more wholesome than to understand the brilliance of diversity and the brilliance of those new, uh, differential realities and bringing those to bear as you address challenges, no matter what be it is that you wish to do. And, and actually, from a, so from a university perspective, I'll be delighted to see uh, our university students being standing quite apart from all the others simply because they've had the benefit of such exposure. Of course, we must very quickly move beyond that. Hopefully, lots of universities in India will, 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 will pick that up. But thankfully, we will still be the first. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Mm -hmm.